This episode is brought to you by our incredible community of listener supporters on Patreon. Our Patreon offers listeners exclusive archival content, extended episodes, and access to community conversations diving deeper with past guests. Your monthly pledge ensures that For the Wild has the funding to keep producing informative, thoughtful, and rooted conversations and programming. All funding supports our small team of creatives, podcast production, and special For the Wild projects like our zines and slow study courses. To support us on Patreon, please visit patreon.com slash for the wild, or if you would rather make a one-time donation or recurring donation outside of Patreon, please visit for the wild.world slash donate. I don't believe that we can achieve anything resembling human fulfillment within the structures of capitalism. For the Wild is honored to present The Edges in the Middle, a series of conversations between Biocomalafe and thought companions like John A. Powell, V, Naomi Klein, and more. These limited episodes have been adapted from Bio's work as the Global Senior Fellow at UC Berkeley's Othering and Belonging Institute. In this role, Bio has been holding a series of public conversations on issues of justice and belonging for the Institute's Democracy and Belonging Forum, which connects and resources civic leaders in Europe and the U.S. who are committed to bridging across differences to strengthen democracy and advance belonging in both regions and around the world. Bio's conversations encourage us to rethink justice, hope, and belonging by sitting amidst the noise, not trying to cover it up with pleasant rhythms. To learn more about the Democracy and Belonging Forum, visit democracyandbelongingforum.org. This recording features Bio's conversation with scholar, author, and activist, Kienga Yamata-Taylor. Kienga is a professor in the Department of African American Studies at Northwestern University and a 2021 MacArthur Foundation Fellow. She is a thought leader on Black politics, social movements, and racial inequality in the United States. Informed by Bio Komalafe's essay, Black Lives Matter, But to Whom?, Kienga and Bio explore a set of questions stemming from the provocation, what if justice gets in the way? I want to say a few things again, as I'm now traditionally known to, about what this is. This is an experiment in conversation. This is an experiment in the Imbari, which is the Igbo, The Igbo people are from Eastern Nigeria. They're a noble people, powerful people, beautiful stories and wonderful cosmologies. Part of that cosmology is this art form, which we have tried to articulate these conversations around. The idea of the Umbari isn't to arrive summarily at a notion of truth. We're not looking for truth here. As important as that designation is, we're not looking for a way to arrive at consensus or agreement, as useful as those are strategically as well. The idea here is to listen with each other, to listen diffractively, to create art with words and textures and memory and feeling that allows us to see each other, including you listening, as gestures, minor gestures, instead of stabilized points in space-time. 
So we are not atomic entities trying to finalize our positions. We are touching each other, so to speak, and creating art with our conversation that we allow to be composted by the earth. Nothing that is said here needs to be grasped as some final principle of fundamental reality. We give it back to the earth, just as the Igbos with the Umbari process would give their art forms back to the earth to be eaten by the goddess Allah. So it's with that that I welcome you to this conversation that is premised and derives from an essay that I wrote um, a couple of months ago, not too long ago, January. I think it was published in February by my people here at the Institute. And um, the premise of this conversation is, what if justice gets in the way? Now, that doesn't sound right. Justice is feels like the thing to arrive at. It's where we, it's what we all want. To say justice gets in the way or to suggest that it might get in the way is to trouble the relationalities, the way we relate with the public, especially how black bodies are uh, situated within modern civilization. It is to cast our gaze beyond our fight for inclusion and to kind of bring in a historicity, a history, a narrative, a storytelling tradition that stretches beyond the moments of capture and captivity. And beyond that, not just into the past, but into the future, into a speculative future, to ask questions about what we are doing and what is being done to us in our quests for justice, right? So. I don't know that there is any other person that I would like to have this conversation with except Kianga, Professor Kianga Taylor. I have followed and admired her voice in the United States for some time. And when the prospects of this came up, I jumped at it, um, not only because of the soul and the rigor with which she speaks to these matters, matters of justice, um, but because of, let me call it a weather of wisdom that surrounds her. Um, so it is my great pleasure to bring Kianga um, into this virtual space. Welcome, sister. Thank you. Thank you very much. Very much looking forward to the uh, conversation. And, and, and you're joining us from um, Philadelphia, Philadelphia, yeah, the seat of democracy, <laughs> the birthplace of American democracy, the birthplace of American. whatever on earth that is worth. And what feels what feels um, very very um, urgent and very very potent right now um, to say as we dive into this is how do you feel about that question? How did it land with you, the problematic, troubling idea that justice might get in the way? And then we, we, we move wherever we want to go. This is emergent. Sure. Um, well, thank you again for um, the invitation. And, you know, thank you for the, um, the provocation that is uh, your essay. Um, 
I think, I mean, there are a few immediate things that come to mind uh, for me. Um, one of which is the question of, um, I mean, some of this is specific to the essay, which is the yeah. audience um, in, in terms of who it is that you're writing to, because in some ways, you know, I think that the participation in Black Lives Matter and its many different iterations um, is quite varied. And, you know, people uh, come to this desire for movement from different um, positions, from with different thoughts, with different politics. So that that's one thing. Mm-hmm. Um, I think when, you know, about the, the question of justice, does justice get in the way? Is justice limiting? Um, you know, I, I think yes and no. Uh, yes, in the sense that, you know, if we only conceive uh, of justice in the existing political paradigm, if we only conceive of it, uh, in the ways, the narrow and confined ways that in an American context, an American ruling class uh, conceives of that, then of course justice is incredibly limited. And we saw that throughout the different kinds of responses of, of Black Lives Matter. So we could talk about the first wave of protest uh, with Black Lives Matter in 2014 and uh, 2015, where um, you know, the main kind of sense of reform and forms of justice had to do with uh, police commissions and, you know, making sure that the police had body cameras. Right. Um, you know, the, the second wave of, of protests, you know, produced this George Floyd Policing Act, which was, you know, kind of toothless and uh, you know, different different things that basically uh, keep the system of policing intact. Mm-hmm. So there's there's that. There's a kind of normative um, sense of justice and reform that you know is attractive to some people. Um, I think that there's also when I say no, there's also I think uh, a more capacious sense of uh, justice that. Uh, comes from people engaged in the movement itself, and it comes from people who are oppressed. Um, and so I think that in, in, in that sense, um, justice is not just about uh, tools meant to uh, restrain uh, the police or restrain um, the violent impulses of the state. Justice is about what do we have to do to live more meaningful lives? And so that I think is, is important, which is to say that these concepts are not stable and static, delivered to us from on high or delivered to us in the forms uh, that, you know, that they emerge from uh, through the enlightenment, you know, that, that the struggles of uh, oppressed people have also changed their meaning or at least put the meaning of seemingly stable categories um, into conflict and contestation. Uh, And so the one thing that I had questions about in in the essay uh, is 
are you holding these concepts to be too stable, to mm. see them only as a manifestation of the desires of the West, only as a manifestation? So we think about justice or freedom only as they are conceived of by those who uh, put them into the universe at a particular point in time um, and had a very uh, specific meaning uh, uh, for them. In the United States, um, the uh, colonial leaders understood freedom in a particular way because they all held slaves. Mm -hmm. They knew what the absence of freedom looked like. And so their conception of freedom was organized uh, uh, in response um, to slavery. Uh, But of course, enslaved people had a very different sense uh, Mm -hmm. of what freedom um, was. And so that is just to say that um, I think that these concepts, which on the surface uh, seem to be reflections of the uh, dominant class and what it is that they desire yeah. are contested and and fought over uh, and have come to assume uh, different meaning uh, from the oppressed uh, themselves. And I think that we have to integrate that complexity um, yeah. into the discussion about what seems like uh, stable categories to begin with. I, I totally resonate with that. There is a um, there is a move that is threaded through the essay, and and for those who are listening, as my brother a while ago said, this essay is called "Black Lives Matter, But to Whom?" and it was published in February, and it's available on, on the internet if you take a look at it. It's not a it's it's a, it's a long read, and I'm grateful that Kianga <laughs> went through it. But, but it's, there's a move that is, is privileged in that essay, and that is to stabilize strategically, if only for a moment, accepting that justice and these concepts are contested and contestable, right? But to stabilize it just for a moment of thought to see what other moves are mobilized. And why that is, you know, you asked me just before we came on what precipitated, what led to this, what gave birth to this. It's that following Judge Floyd, the event of Judge Floyd, we had a moment of our own. By we, I mean the biggest country in Africa, yeah. biggest black nation on earth, right? We had end SARS, that is end police brutality, SARS representing this violent force 
that calls into question our, our wanting to see um, more brothers and sisters mm -hmm. in places of power, right? It queers that a little. Um, and in, in the struggle to end police brutality, many questions were formulated. Many ideas that have been gestating for a while found expression. Just like the pandemic gave birth to new ideas about schooling and the workplace and organizational arrangements, this gave birth to questions around justice and what justice is doing. We started to have questions or, or, or have conversations about how justice is kneeling on our necks, literally, you know, taking the figure of that police officer kneeling on Judge Floyd's neck. And this has, you know, of course, what I try to do is to trace those beautiful connections that have always existed between diasporic African communities and members of the African continent, right? Blacknesses meeting, Kwame Nkrumah, Martin Luther King, beautiful convergences. I feel there's a new conversation that is troubled or invited in. And I think these conversations are especially needed now in a time when it seems, at least, at least from one perspective, that justice is imbricated with the continuity of modernity. So there is a sense, of course, like you, like you beautifully notice, that we can see justice as this enlightenment thing. Right? It's never some transcendent notion. It is emergent from relationship. Right? It's how we relate. It's negotiated. But there is also a sense in which it transcends or exceeds those troubling containments. And we can start to see justice. We can even practice seeing justice as something to reach out for. But for now, through the agency of this essay, I wanted to ask questions about how bodies were imported into the human, into the anthropos, right? Um, um, how Sylvia Winters speaks about the man and what the man is doing and what we're missing if we negotiate the public order in a particular way. So the question for me is, what are we missing? That is the hidden codicil of asking those questions about justice. What are we missing when we, you know, to use Fred Moten's voice, speak truth to power? What is left out when we do that? And where does fugitivity come in? How do we think about the figure of the fugitive through this conversation about what justice occludes, right? I mean, I guess for me, the problem that I have, because I, I think that those are are legitimate questions uh, to raise. Um, I think they get raised in a different kind of uh, context uh, here. And so this is when what I brought up initially about the audience, um, what I'm speaking to there, and, and you, you, you hint at some of this, I think, well, for certain in the essay, particularly actually when you're talking about uh, the African context, not so much in the, the U.S., but certainly yeah. in the African context, which is a question of class, the question of different interests. And so part of the, the difficulty I had with the essay, in, just in terms of, uh, of understanding 
the nature of the debate and, and who is being argued with Ooh. is that the in the, the US, the the movement itself is deeply fractured around questions of class, mm. right? And and class influences them questions of, of, of strategy and tactics. And so what you were speaking to absolutely um, applies to um, and is the concern uh, of a section uh, of this um, thing that we call a Black Lives Matter movement. Yeah. Um, and there's also uh, abolitionists within the movement. There are socialists in the movement and people who reject um, the kind of uh, normative parameters based on what is pragmatic and what is politically possible um, in our current context. You know, those people populate uh, the movement as well. And so part of the uh, problem has been a kind of lack of engagement uh, a lack of um, debate and uh, tension, really, around these sorts of questions within the movement uh, mm. itself. They have been muted and papered over. Uh, and so that the kind of liberal uh, voices, those who are most concerned with a, a kind of what I'm going to describe as a normative sense of justice, yeah. uh, normative reforms, uh, those voices have been allowed to dominate and uh, really capture and overwhelm uh, the discussion about what for others is a question of black liberation and and questions that involved, you know, quote unquote, how we might get free um, and, and freedom uh, based on uh, the lack of coercion um, in making decisions about one's life. Like what does it mean to achieve um, actual self-determination? Uh, uh, and so, you know, these questions of uh, class and class conflict uh, among Black people um, in the United States in, in particular are quite profound and they have resulted uh, in a very bifurcated notion of what it is that we are, are fighting for. Because there are people who are totally fine with leaving the hull of the slave ship uh, and just being on deck, you know, and letting the wind blow through their hair. And they're okay with that. Um, and then there are other people uh, who want to not just leave the slave ship, but set it on fire. So the problem is, is this is all still happening uh, within these this concept of community, um, this concept of a kind of shared blackness, you yeah. know, shared yeah. experience. Um, and so that that's this part of what complicates um, my kind of thinking about the essay and answering some of the questions that you pose because, to me, those are questions that uh, really engulf a kind of liberal mindset that exists absolutely, but are not shared uh, throughout. You know, so some of the folks, you know, um, what I might describe as the left of 
what we are calling the Black Lives Matter movement. Right. You know, I don't think, you know, people who see themselves as abolitionists, um, these are these are the kinds of ideas and uh, debates that um, animate those politics. Yeah. It's really about how do we look beyond the existing paradigms? Yes. Um, how do we imagine uh, uh, different ways of being, yes. uh, different ways uh, of living? And these come into extreme conflict uh, with other Black people, you know, who are who see problems with the the the, the status quo, but yeah, really yeah. the problems are about how they fit into it, not the status quo itself. Inclusion. So that, that, your, yes, that is what yeah. you're addressing about the limits of uh, inclusion. You know, of course, mm-hmm. I yeah you know, I wrote a book about um, this question uh, in as a kind of critique of post-war racial liberalism mm-hmm. uh, and the idea that our uh, sole objective in life is to reject exclusion and simply be included mm. uh, without ever taking stock fully uh, of what it is that we are being asked to be included into. Mm. Mm. Um, it, you, you said something about coercion and and articulated that with regards to freedom, right? Um, how, how would you, I'm going to use a, a word that I'm, I'm guessing, or I'm hoping that everyone might be familiar with, ontologies, right? Um, the nature of, you know, the reality of. How would, you, how would you think of freedom then? Freedom being this, this, um, this very, it's a it's a gleaming data point in the intergenerational transcontinental conversation of, about blackness, right? We talk about freedom all the time when Martin Luther King talked about freedom. Activism is about freedom, but but a a, um, a thread, if you think about it as a biological or symbiotic thread that runs through. Um, some of my engagements through the essay and beyond the essay is the nature of freedom. Do you, do you want to struggle with that? Do, let's struggle with that a little, sister. Yeah, I mean, f- for one, freedom is deeply contested. <laughs> what, what we mean by freedom. So, you know, none of these are, um, as we said earlier, stable, situated um, uh, categories. Uh, and, their, and their meaning and inference and importance, frankly, change over time, right? And and so, maybe I can put it this way, sister, that, that how, how, do, how do you think we are enacting freedom and performing it? And how do you think it's performing us within uh, an architecture of socio-materiality of relationships? How are we enacting it, even in demanding certain things of the system that externalizes and oppresses us? Well, let me just say what I, when I think of the, the idea of freedom, because I get asked this a lot, like what yeah. does freedom, you know, mean to you? Uh, yeah. What would liberation um, look like? And so I mentioned earlier this uh, idea of 
self-determination and what does it mean to make choices and decisions uh, in one's life that are without coercion and that you are thinking uh, or motivated simply by one's desire to move from one place to another, uh, from one thing to another, from one thought uh, to another. Mm-hmm. Um, and so for me, that that gets somewhere in the realm um, of, of what freedom is. You know, I think that uh, it's not it's, it's not wholly clear to me what it means uh, or how it is ingested in our contemporary uh, society. Mm-hmm. Um, is it the ability to vote? Um, mm-hmm. Is it uh, to be free? It's often negative, right? It's like yeah. to be free from uh, harassment, discrimination, uh, these sorts of things, which to me doesn't sound very free at all. There um, you go. Uh, and so, you know, I think that, of course, we have uh, a political uh, agenda that is limited by what people think uh, is possible, um, it, by what people's expectations out of life have been ground down to. Um, so that I, you know, I think that uh, it has been reduced um, to its most uh, basic negative form, mm-hmm. uh, which is to kind of be left alone, uh, which again is not very free. Um, and so, the question that I had for you mm. uh, was really what what were you thinking about? Um, freedom as something um, that we should not strive for, right? (laughs) So what to you, what does it mean to be free? Hmm. Um, And what would it mean uh, to not have that as uh, an objective, as the the center um, Hmm. of a political struggle? Hmm. I think that and I'm deriving or or I'm sitting with a response that is grounded in these African stories and the ways that elders in my lands have, you know, alchemized the stories of capture and captivity and, you know, and stayed with the trouble, you know, of this, of, of freedom, right? So running through what I'm sure you recognize as a Yoruba cosmology, mm-hmm. with its talk about Orishas, is the, is the idea of the pre-individual, which is, um, if you're listening, you might, you, you might recognize this as um, um, resonating with what a philosopher called Gilbert Simondon um, articulated. That is, we are not individuals as such that have the property of freedom. Right? We are indebted to ecologies, right? We are not isolated. Modernity would have us see ourselves as mm-hmm. separate beings, right? Who have designation of free or not free. But there is a sense in which even the lack of coercion could be of a, a bind, right? 
that 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 even without the outward um, signs of being shackled, we are still tethered to systems and ways of being and ways of seeing. Even, even I just had a, a dear sister, Dr. Erin Manning, say to me or speak to me about the violence of sight, right? That, that, that even neurotypicality is normopathic and could exe execute some kind of capture. So holding these ideas of the, of, of the notion of flow that breaks down the distinctions between me and my environment, um, it calls the whole project of freedom into question. It, it, it troubles it. Um, freedom from what is not as powerful any longer as um, what is using us, what is instrumentalizing us, even without the outward signs of being coerced. How are we part and parcel of algorithms, systems, and ways of thinking that are sticky to get out of? How are we caught up in a death spiral, right? So, so um, I don't know what lies beyond um, freedom. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm thinking right now of the way that I started out the essay, you know, the crafts running away from the, from the plantation. Um, what I should have added, or what I now think I, I would want to add if I get to modify the essay, is how, you know, his, historically, they still have trouble when they escaped. The question is escaping to what, right? It's always the question of fugitivity. What are we escaping into? Because white modernity, the plantation wasn't as big as the, what the plantation was serving. The real estate of white modernity was beyond the plantation. So my question is still how, what are we running into? How are we co-creating and co-performing freedom? If freedom is still imbricated within specific ways of being that are increasingly problematic, especially now that we know how to name the Anthropocene. Mm -hmm. So I don't know what freedom leads to. All I know how to do is gesture towards something else, exquisite beyond my language and capacity that I would signal with the idea of shape-shifting, the crafts turning into birds, Octavia Butler speaking about bodies melting into other bodies. I'm not exactly sure how to think beyond freedom because I'm part of this project as well. Right. But I feel that we're at a turn, sister, we're at a point in our shared histories, colonized and colonizer, right, where the ship is in trouble. And now we have to ask new questions. Um, I think, yes, I think that um, we do have to ask new questions. Um, I also think that, um, you know, I don't believe that we can create or conceive of yeah. uh, a different kind uh, of world from the one that we are currently situated in. I agree, yes. But I do believe that through the struggles um, of regular people, ordinary people, um, that those people have the capacity uh, to create a different context um, and a different kind of uh, social relation. 
Um, and so, you know, I'm an anti-capitalist, I'm a socialist, and I believe that capitalism uh, imposes certain material, social, political, spiritual constraints yes. um, uh, on, yes. on individuals, socially, society, uh, you know, the whole thing. Um, and I believe that, uh, you know, it, it also is a system that uh, promotes this kind of um, uh, self-interest and, mm -hmm. and self-individualism. Uh, and so mm -hmm. someone has asked about uh, self-determination. Um, is that in conflict with collectivity? Mm -hmm. uh, you know, I don't, I don't think so. I'm not talking about self-determination as uh, individual, you know, individualism. I'm talking about uh, the self as a collective uh, body. Like what is uh, in the interest of yeah. uh, the collective? And it's the collective that determines what is in its interest. Um, yeah. And those interests are constantly... Uh, in flux and changing, yes. uh, but I believe through, um, and, and this is where maybe the you know, I'm like I'm a I'm a materialist, you know. Me so too. there there's <laughs> there's tension in like even how to uh, talk about some of these things. Um, mm -hmm. But I you know I believe that uh, people have the capacity to collectively determine in a given moment and circumstance what it is that they need. And I believe that without the uh, particular uh, constraints and obstacles uh, created by uh, capitalism or by, you know, systems that, you know, there's the kind of bureaucratic collectivist states that call themselves socialists mm -hmm. that work socialist if we think of socialism mm -hmm. as sharing of abundance you know these are states that uh you know still had the kind of um uh dynamic towards extraction where the state was in control and ownership mm -hmm. but who owned the state uh there was not democratic uh control of the means by which uh, people govern themselves. Uh, they were not democratic control of the state itself. Um, and so, you know, I think that uh, it's through that process of collective struggle that people's ideas about what freedom is, what it means to them in their particular context mm -hmm. um, changes. I don't know. I think this is, you know, this is kind of, uh, where I'm at with with this question, because one of the things that uh, occurred to me in the essay was, what is the mechanism? Mm -hmm. And so for me, the mechanism for the kind of social transformation that I'm talking about um, is is mass struggle. Yes, um, and that that mass struggle um, can't be in an of itself. It can't be struggle for just the state's sake of struggle. Yes. Um, I believe that we have to change the ways, uh, the relations between uh, each other, uh, yes. change the relations between uh, people and how things are produced. Um, yes. I don't believe that we can achieve anything resembling human fulfillment 
within the structures of capitalism. And so what is the mechanism for this kind of social transformation? It is the self-activity of collect human beings through uh, uh, collective struggle. Um, and so one of the questions that I had for you was this question of mechanism. Okay. How do we go from what we are in today uh, to, as you say, walking away from the constraints of uh, these objectives and concepts um, into something else, you know, that is not bound by um, these old ideas. Yeah. What is the mechanism that propels that process? Right. Um, it's it's how people are peopled that is right. that is really really energetically powerful for me right now. So so let's read insights into each other's in um, each other uh, sister. There, when when you said I'm a materialist, my I'm I I know that it's yeah. <laughs> it's it's I'm a materialist too. It's like yes. Um, of course, I would often describe myself as a neo-materialist um, along the lines of a post-humanism, of an animism that refuses to center human beings as independent actors, right? So that when we speak about people, I hear processes, right? And I hear um, fungi, and I hear architecture, and I hear texture, and I hear algorithms that are streaming through the air so that the, there's a lot of porosity between um, the environment and people. So the question is, when you say, for instance, that it's, it's people struggling, collective struggle, that is the mechanism for breakthroughs. I can sit with that and I know that this is true at multiple levels in our history, in our collective histories we wouldn't have achieved what we achieve in terms of even living to have electricity in Nigeria, for instance, without people hitting the streets. People are on the streets right now struggling against the tide of, I don't even need to mention it here, uh, you know what's happening probably, um, a horrible electoral process. But the question for me still remains how people are peopled that it's not simply about people struggling. It has never been about people struggling because environments create people, and not in a deterministic final way, but even the ways that we come to struggle, even the ways we ask questions, the imaginations we have about what it means to be free and all of that is already a mark of a crossroads. There's the multiple effects right there. So, so that it's never about just this monolithic entity struggling for a new dimension. It's, it's how bodies interact with other bodies. So, and, and I wish I could, I could put my finger on beautiful and resonant examples that suggest that even with struggle, even as important as struggle is, one wants to hold the tension of where struggle has only bequeathed us with the inheritance of repetition, that our struggle has, has sometimes led to the proliferation of the familiar, right? 
I, I will never forget, you know, listening to Bernie Sanders saying that since the 70s, we've been struggling um, for a response to climate, climate chaos. Uh, and he would say, um, we have to respond to this yesterday, you know, in, you know, in the ways that he speaks. We have to respond to this yesterday. That he would ask the question, why do we keep doing the same things over and over again? I think it's a question that haunts the idea that struggle is the soul or exclusive, which I don't think is what you're saying, but I want to hold that thread of thought, that struggle as the soul or exclusive um, mechanism for breakthroughs doesn't feel adequate in a post-humanist world where people are peopled in different ways by their environments. So for me, I think about the mechanism of shifts as lingering in the breaks, Right. And by the break, I mean to speak about um, places where um, places of deep errancy. Right. Um, let, let, to, I can situate errancy in terms of autism. I do this all the time. Having uh, been a father of an autistic child, mm -hmm. I feel that we have we have learned to pathologize um, spaces where novelty thrives. Right. Um, and you could see this pathologization in terms of how we treat um, disabled people, how we treat uh, minorities and all of that and, and autistic children. I think that they kind of embody and I don't want to binarize it like the neurotypicals and the autistics, mm -hmm. but there, there is a there is a dense site of monstrosity the monster to me is the cultural symbol of strain away from uh, the normal path there is the monster and i feel inquiry a politics that sits with tracing and understanding how we are imbricated with specific social analytics might allow us to do something different or see something different let me put it this way sister now, the problem, one problem for me is that we're part of a sensorial monoculture, that even protest and struggle could coexist side by side within a sensory monoculture that engulfs even those that we think are against us, right? We could be part imbricated with the very same systems. I remember seeing a brother telling me that he wanted to get people away from Facebook, and so his method his, of choice was to use um, Facebook to get people away from Facebook. It, it was entirely lost to him, the irony of getting people to, to do permaculture and away from Facebook by starting Facebook groups, right? It's just a comical example of the ways we're imbricated within systems. Yes. Even our struggles are articulated within them. So speculatively, I think of the sight of the zombie, the zombie being this, <laughs> this monster, um, but which is a decolonial entity, of course, mm -hmm. um, uh, with history in Haiti and black culture. Um, I think of those sites as places of deep interest to me, that it's not enough for us to struggle because struggle can curdify or reinforce the very conditions under certain conditions 
that we're fighting against, but that we need a way of decentering the struggler. Question for me again is who is struggling? What is struggling? Is there a stable identity behind the struggle? And if there isn't, if even the struggler is contested and the struggle is contested, then what kinds of spaces can we co-enact that allows us to see differently? This is what I theorize as the monster. Mm-hmm. Stop here for now. This is not struggle for struggle's sake or that the quote unquote or hashtag struggle um, in and of itself uh, uh, changes everything. Mm -hmm. Um, For me, the the possibility of a certain kind of struggle uh, is a mechanism. Um, And the reason why I see it as a mechanism uh, is because... uh, Struggle from below um, yeah. is disruptive. Uh, it breaks the uh, uh, status quo. And it's within those moments of disruption and breaks within the status quo that the other part of this becomes viable. And so the other part of this for me um, mm-hmm. is then politics. Uh, mm-hmm. So there is the um, the symbiosis with uh, objective um, and subjective uh, factors that create the space um, for different ways uh, of of thinking. And, you know, I have a a million different examples uh, of that. So it's not just that you struggle. It's also the ideas that imbue um, those struggles. And those those ideas um, are constantly... Uh, being fought over. I mean, this is the the history of uh, the black struggle in the in the 1960s. Um, but it was the movement itself that opened up the possibility mm-hmm. of thinking differently about the position of black people in the United States mm-hmm. without any kind of uh, social disruption, which mm-hmm. the movement represented. Um, mm-hmm. It was very difficult on a mass level to bring in this, these ideas uh, about uh, Black freedom, about right. black liberation, about how Black people could live differently, not to an external audience, but to Black people themselves. Uh, and so for me, without the disruption of struggle, because it's true, fascists have mass marches you know, 
January 6th in the United States uh, uh, was a protest, uh, was a demonstration. So it's not just the ability to demonstrate. It's not just the ability to amass uh, uh, people in a certain location. Mm -hmm. Uh, I distinguish that uh, uh, struggles in the service of maintaining uh, the status quo um, Mm. and struggles that are disruptive to it. Those who are in um, stewards of the status quo may think that a particular movement um, can help it, is in service uh, to it. Um, but I believe that the longer that a, a, a struggle, protest, demonstration movement of some sort exists, mm. that raises questions about the stability of that society. Now, whether or not there is uh, a particular kind of politics um, that enter into those gaps, that enter into those uh, fissures, that raise new ideas and different ideas about uh, what society is, what it could be, what its problems are, how to deal with those problems, how to respond to those problems. That's a political question. Yeah. Um, and that is a question that has to be um, debated and argued over and, and that is not in and of itself a product of, of, of street demonstrations, but right. is a product of, of political struggle between um, individuals, between people um, who are in some kind of dialogue about how do we change things. Um, yeah. so that's what I see those two things working in tandem with each other. Oh, beautiful. The, there, there, there is a sense, sister, here that I'm in touch with the violence of clock time. This really shouldn't, I'm, there, I really wish we had two hours to do this. I do have something to say about, mm-hmm. about what, what you, so there, it really needs to be said that, um, at least I want to say that I agree with the need for struggle. There is no dismissing that. There's no sidestepping like, oh, there's a new political movement afoot. Let's get rid of it. No, there isn't any of that. But but there is, you know, reality is never pure or categorical. It's promiscuous and unwieldy. There is also, there's also dot, 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 the, the, the sense in which um, the ground beneath our feet, especially in Africa, is widening, you know, probably, f- you know, yes. figuratively embodied by the crack that is literally dividing Africa into two, running yes. through Kenya at, at this moment, right? That, that the ground beneath our feet is, is, is going and that we're finding more and more this to be the case that our struggle is eaten up, right? That, that, that there, is a, there is some kind of a presumption of able-bodiedness, you know, even in the call, the clarion call to struggle, to fight the powers yeah. that be, yeah. right? right? So I'm asking, what do we say to my son mm-hmm. who will not look you straight in the eye because visuality is not the premise of his experience, right? He looks to the side, right? He does not 
he does not um, gentrify bodies, you know, visually. Mm -hmm. He looks to the side. Right? What do we say to my son? What do we say to those people in Africa? Do, do, is, are we going to say the same thing like just keep struggling? Or is there something else that is possible? And this is not just a question for you. It's rhetorical. Um, that, is there something else that can be done within those cracks? Are those cracks now political um, agents of the, in their own rights, inviting new cartographical projects, inviting new directions without dismissing the need to engage the familiar? And I would say that we shouldn't uh, reify struggle as a single thing. Right. right? That it's is 20 year olds on the street shaking their fist and, you know, running at cops. Of course. Um, it is the ability to say no, um, yeah. either verbally uh, through what we do with our bodies, um, a refusal to participate refusal. Uh, in one way or another. Um, and so I, you know, the last thing I, I will say is that I agree um, that we absolutely run the risk of uh, reflecting the forces that uh, we are fighting against. I think that we see that uh, profoundly in the in the U.S., where the right wing is canceling books and banning books, um, <laughs> and there is an impulse from parts of the left um, that the when you step out of line, um, when yeah. you, you know you have a, a political thought or say something um, that people disagree with, uh, that you know that there is a, a very intense reaction. Uh, aimed at disciplining you um, into not saying it. And mm. so these are mirrored patterns um, of each other. Uh, yeah. And I don't believe there's any way out of that uh, mm. without political struggle, which is not about the street. It's about how we engage with each other in what uh, Olafemi Tawo talks about in the room, um, in the space. And that is uh, uh, a problem. That, that we have in the, in the United States left, an ability mm. to engage one another uh, in the space, on the plane of ideas, um, yes. to think differently, uh, yeah. and to come together uh, to understand, uh, uh, to create a politics um, with those outside of the room um, that can really uh, focus on what it means to be free. Thank you for listening to this special episode of The Edges in the Middle. The music you heard today was by Sitka Sun, graciously provided by the Long Road Society record label. For the Wild is created by Ayana Young, Erica Ekram, Francesca Glassbell, and Julia Jackson.